Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Fuel the Gap, the podcast where we share stories and conversations about being human. My name is Liv. Um, and my name is Joey, as usual, not our real names. And this is usually the part where I'll say we give a big disclaimer that we're not professionals. But actually, today we are very lucky to have a special guest who is a professional, um, who is a clinical psychologist trained um, therapist. Yeah, nice of that. And she's Ro from the Psych Diaries. And Ro, maybe you can introduce yourself to us. Hi, thank you, Joey and Liv, for having me. Uh, yeah, my name's Ro. I'm a psychologist from Sydney, Australia. Um, and the clinical psychology trained uh, means that I did my master's in clinical psychology, but I'm still very much in my early career stage of training. And so I've worked full time for about two years now in private practice. Um, and I do a kind of mix of child work and so that's child and family and also in an individual adult clinic as well, where I see, um, I guess, adults. <laughs> um, while I was doing that, I also recently started a YouTube channel called The Psych Diaries. And that's where I kind of talk about the behind the scenes of being a psychologist. So study pathways, careers. Um, and it's a it's kind of nice mix because I've been seeing a therapist for probably three to four years now, and now I kind of get to see the other side or like behind the chair. Um, and so I, I guess today um, we'll be talking maybe about things that I've experienced as a psychologist and maybe some things I've learned along the way, but also my experience of being on the other side and going through therapy as well. So thanks so much for having me, guys. Yeah, sounds great. You know, I'm, I've always been a bit curious, Ro, about why people become therapists or why they choose to become therapists. And I guess what what brought you into this role? Oh, great question. I'm going to be honest, every single time someone asks me, my answer changes. Um, and I think retrospectively, when I look back, I can kind of join the dots. But when I first started psychology, it was because I was obsessed with science and I knew I wanted to work in science, but I also really wanted to work with people. And I I didn't really want a lab job. And I studied psychology at uni and I, I knew research was not going to be my thing. Um, and I knew I wanted to help people in some way. And so it was a great melding of something that was scientific. I felt like I had a purpose and I was walking towards my values um, and it was kind of a people facing role as well. So that's probably why I got into it. I think in terms of why different therapists get into the role though, it's really mixed. Like it's such an individual experience. Some people actually hear this a lot, but lots of people come in with backgrounds where they've experienced tough things and want to find a way to heal themselves or want to learn more about the ways in which they can help other people. Um, maybe they have lived experiences and they want to work in a way where they assist other people who have been in their place. Um, yeah, so I think it's a really mixed bag. And then I've I've heard of some people who just want to get into it because um, they didn't get into medicine <laughs> and this is like their second choice. And so I have heard like the whole gamut of reasons for why. Oof. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. And do you think that since joining it, it's lived up to what you had hoped it would be? Oh, good question. Um, yes. So I think it has. Um, thankfully, uh, I've been really enjoying it and I've been enjoying it more as I've been doing it for longer. I think early 
as a trainee psychologist, all I felt was like absolute panic. And like every session was just me being so anxious that I was going to screw up, that I was going to impact my client negatively. Um, And the more competent I get, I think the more I feel a sense of ease going into a session and I can actually be present and I can kind of sit some of the anxiety at the door. And so it has gotten more and more enjoyable. Um, However, in other ways, it's gotten more, there there are aspects to it that I didn't realize when I went in, like the financial part of it. Um, As a private practice role, like I am a contractor and I have to do taxes and finances and negotiate contracts. And I had no training for the business side of things ever. So yeah, the therapeutic side of it has exceeded expectations and the business side of it has unfortunately been the toughest part, I think, so far. Yeah, actually, I have a question at this point, because when I think of therapy, I think as a therapist, it's a a very, very tough role to be in because it's you got to provide like a safe space for your patient or client to speak and be themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. But then what you pointed out, like having this crippling anxiety of uh, making sure that you don't negatively impact someone. I think that's extremely crazy to think about, especially being, I'm not a therapist, but just imagining being a therapist and being in that position feels so scary. So how did, how do you maybe slowly get out of that? Yeah. Oh, actually this ties on really well to starting to see my own therapist. So during my training, I was so burnt out and stressed that I have a very clear memory of, um, I do like Latin dancing and I was driving to Latin dance practice. And as I was driving, I just spontaneously burst out like sobbing because I was so overwhelmed with with masters. Um, And I think at that point I was like, oh yeah, we've reached the point where I need to go see someone. Um, And so I started seeing her and I was talking about my anxiety and the pressure I felt. And she had a really lovely way of reframing it. So my therapist is an ACT therapist. Um, it's a model of therapy called acceptance commitment therapy. And one of the core parts of it is talking about values and who you want to be. And so we talked a lot about who I want to be as a psychologist. And she kind of said, you know, the anxiety is a sign that you really care about your clients. And instead of thinking it as something that um, is holding you back and that you need to get rid of, perhaps thinking about it as wow, that, like, that's a lot of care that you hold for your clients and thinking about how I can be the type of therapist that I want to be. And so instead of working towards perfection or making sure I always say the right thing, I realigned my goals towards, you know, I want to be present in my session. I want to be understanding with my clients. Um, I want to be self-compassionate to myself as a therapist and not have this hypocritical stance where I trying to understand my clients and all I do is beat myself up. And so we did a lot of sessions actually talking about my values as a therapist to other people, but also how I want to treat myself as a therapist. So yeah, there was quite a bit of self-compassion and kind of reframing. Mm. Um, So yeah, that really helped. Wow. I mean, that's really beautiful. Like the reframing how your anxiety is, is actually a a, a good part of yourself rather than, Mm than something to get rid of. And mm. the reason why I brought that up is because it resonates a little bit with um, just me at my job. I'm not a therapist, but like I, I do 
product management in a tech company. Mm-hmm. And when, when you're new to a certain role and you're learning, especially at the beginning, sometimes you have a very strong sense of imposter syndrome. Oh, and yes. and being a PM, um, a lot of times you're talking to stakeholders and you need a lot of contextual information from multiple people. And then oftentimes you have to make a decision. And so a lot of times I'm in a situation where like, oh crap, what if I make the wrong decision? Or what if I make a right decision now, but like I, I'm not seeing some impact uh, that anyone else could see. So there's just so many thoughts in my mind, like what if I do something that's harmful to the company and I don't want to be seen as the person that messed things up. So yeah, it was, it, it's tough. And I think in a similar way, uh, maybe people could relate to that, like a sort of an imposter syndrome mm-hmm. effect. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it's just, it's really common to a lot of recent graduates, whether in, yeah, corporate roles, health roles, the sense that it's kind of weird that as I've gotten more experience, some of the pressure has actually gone off because as a trainee, I almost felt like, you know, my client's well-being was like a hundred percent on my shoulders, which now more and more I'm kind of going like, well, no, they have a whole life outside of what I do with them one hour a week. Um, and so their well-being and their progress, not all of that is based on just me. And I think sometimes when we we graduate, we have this pressure that we just have to be perfect and everything we do is going to have a massive impact. Um, and more and more I'm kind of going, okay, no, I can try my best, but even if I've tried my absolute best, that technique might work for that client and it might have the opposite effect for someone else. So letting go of some of that pressure that we place on ourselves. Yeah. Mm, I think hearing you say that, it's, it's almost humbling in a way. Um, I mean, when we think of a therapist, sometimes in our heads, we think of the person sitting across as being a very, like, having their life together. Um, there's no shit in their lives. You know, like, how can they be so calm when I'm freaking out internally? And, you know, all of those things. And it's, and it's easy to forget that they have an internal and external world that could be similar to us as well. Um, but mm. but in our heads, looking at them, it just feels almost sometimes intimidating, I guess, in a way, um, mm. in that they just seem like the opposite state to what we are, you know, in that room, in the space. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of humbling to hear about the internal workings of this <laughs> in that way. It, yeah, you're so right. Like we, I guess there was always this kind of funny thing where I felt like I had to be always on top of my game and mentally balanced and always happy. But um, I mean, I obviously went through uni with a lot of psychologists and not at all. Like we still go through all the same life stuff. We might theoretically know great techniques, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee that we're going to go through everything really well and our communications tip top or anything like that. Um, in fact, I would argue that just knowing something theoretically is very, very different to being able to apply it properly. So I know the science behind, you know, maybe calm communication, but I get so pissed off at my parents sometimes or my partner and those techniques don't work sometimes. So yeah, it's, 
it's definitely not like that all the time out of the session. So in session, I feel like everyone's very good at being professional and you have a role and you step into that role. But my um, personal life outside of therapy is not smooth or perfect or always well-regulated and calm. Do you always know the right thing to say? Oh, heck no. (laughs) (laughs) Even in sessions, sometimes I'm just like, (laughs) (laughs) no, not at all. Yeah. Um, and I think that's also part of the self-compassion of being a therapist, like for myself, knowing that sometimes I leave a session and I, all I'm thinking is like, oh God, I could have gone, I really should have gone a completely different direction. I've said the wrong thing. You know, I didn't validate them properly. I was bringing my own biases into the session. Um, but I guess that's part of it as well. Like that your client acknowledges that this is just another human who's going through the same kind of stuff. And sometimes I do have to go back the next session and say, I'm sorry, I remember what I said last session and I'd like to, you know, amend or I'd like to make a comment on that and elaborate on that. So I think that's one of my values is being authentic as a therapist. And so sometimes it's owning up to to not always being that perfect therapist. It's very interesting because um, clearly we were seeing that the therapist isn't just a shiny person at the other side of the table or on another chair looking back at us with their life sorted in order. And, and I think outside of therapy, thinking about it logically, we know everyone's like a human being, but when in session, it, it feels like my answer, the answer to my problems is sits right over there. Almost. And and I'm, I'm just thinking about the patient and therapist sort of relationship. Mm. Um, something that I've always been curious about is like, I, it's a very special bond that you don't get anywhere else in your life. Like the, the relationship between a patient and, and a therapist. But what if, <laughs> what if you come to liking sort of the, the character that your therapist is and you want to know more about them. Sometimes in Mm. session, I feel like, oh, that's an interesting person that I'd like to understand a bit more of, but I choose Mm. not to say anything because it feels a bit intrusive in their personal lives, which Mm. seems a bit wrong in the context of a relationship in like a, in a client patient, patient Mm. therapist relationship. Yeah. Well, what do you think about it? How do you navigate yeah. that? Oh, tricky. It's so actually it's a partly there's a professional code of ethics that we follow and we have to get trained in. So there's a level of which personal disclosure is a bit too much. Um, and I have heard of cases. So there's like a, <laughs> it's kind of behind the scenes, but there's like this ethics board and like a jury and like a court for psychologists who basically do the wrong thing. And some of them are people who have over-disclosed or, mm. you know, spent a whole session talking about their own divorce and making oh. it about them. <laughs> and that that becomes an ethical transgression. Um, but there's also some other forms of therapy where a little bit of disclosure is really helpful. Maybe it's validating or maybe it um, really paints the picture or, you know, clarifies a particular point. And so trying to navigate the oversharing and mm. being a human and not being a robot, um, that is a tricky line to watch, uh, to walk. Um, in terms of how I personally approach it, I feel like it's a case by case basis. So for some clients, I might be a little bit more inclined to talk a little bit more about my personal life. Um, for instance, if there's someone who 
feels um, like a lot of shame around what they're experiencing, it might be therapeutic to kind of say like, I felt the exact same way, or I've had a similar experience where I was also terrified and I had no idea what to do. Um, Whereas if (laughs) sometimes I do have clients who are just like very curious about your life just because they're friendly and, Mm. you know, they ask what age you are and if you have a partner (laughs) and where you live, those details might not really help therapy Mm. in any way. So we also kind of might say, you know, you know, I'm wondering why you're interested in that or, you know, I'd like to learn more about why is it that every time I ask you a question, you try and redirect it back to me or something? <laughs> right, right. Um, and so it's probably helpful to figure out if someone's really invested in their therapist, why that's the case. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, um, like, when you see your therapist, what are the things that you, like, do you kind of feel a sense of kinship or you'd like to learn more about them? Well, I guess it depends on the therapist. So I've, I've seen a couple uh, over the years. Mm-hmm. There's some that's like, Nah, I, I there's some that's just I I just want answers. Give me answers, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the others that's like this guy seems really cool and mm. nice to like just for sort of a calming figure. Mm. And I guess there's curiosity around um, their lives, but but I also want to be really careful about the things that I ask. So generally, I never ask anything personal. It just mm. kind of floats in my head, like. Oh, I wonder if this person uh, sees these type of clients and what how they would how they would uh, react to them saying something. So it's just more of like my brain going off in in certain directions that I know I should never ask. So I just keep quiet. <laughs> I think it's honestly it's fine as well if you sometimes feel the urge to ask, and it's up to the therapist, you know, what their boundaries are as well. Um, right, right, that's yeah. true. Yeah, but the 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 kinship or the the relationship with my therapists have always been rather, um, I guess safe because I know they're they're taking care of me. Uh, mm-hmm. So the good ones, at least, um, I just feel a sense of a space where I can truly voice my thoughts and feelings and concerns without getting judged. Um, mm. but, but at the beginning, it was probably tougher because you I've never really had an experience where I feel like this relationship is so pure that there's zero judgment. Um, so when you're stepping into something with a therapist, then it feels almost like everything you knew about human connection was uprooted and here's a new one and try and explore this one. So... Yeah, it took like baby steps for me to then understand, okay, maybe this is okay to disclose. So maybe this is okay to share. Um, Yeah, yeah. But the good ones always has this sense of like, it's okay to be me. It's okay to have these problems, these thoughts. It's okay to have responded in certain ways and and to then share that with with someone else in the room. Yeah. I think sounds like you've had some oh sorry. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> I was just gonna say sounds like you've had some really good therapists. Yeah, yeah. I invested time and money. So that's I, what I did. was on my mind as well. I was just gonna say that <laughs> I think I it's like wow, you know, to have that good relationship, which makes me, you know, think about when when I tried seeing a therapist, it what it didn't feel mm. I didn't feel mm. kinship. Um, and while I wouldn't say it was an unsafe space, um, I don't know if it's a product of 
my personality or the state of life that I was in at that point in time, um, i.e. that I wasn't actually ready for certain things or I didn't want certain things, I don't know. Um, but I, I, had a, I had a hard time feeling connected with the therapist that I went to see. Mm. Um, and in a very blunt way, I felt like it wasn't worth my money because it was mm. expensive. Yeah. Um, and then it just felt like, you know, I, I didn't feel that genuineness, even though I, I, I think she wasn't trying to be inauthentic in any way. But I just didn't feel that genuineness or that value add. And I guess I guess the question goes back to you, Roma. You know, this idea about the right fit. Mm. Right? Like, how do you know if it's the right fit? Is it okay to doctor shop on this kind of thing? Mm. Or like mm. even your own experiences when you felt you and your client were or were not a right fit. Mm. Yeah. It's it's really tricky i think especially under the australian medicare system you get a certain number of sessions rebated and so they feel kind of precious that you don't want to waste these sessions because they're so expensive um i definitely i'm not sure if i would say it's like friends but i do feel like finding a therapist is almost kind of like finding a friend like not everyone's going to be the right fit and sometimes it really might take a couple of therapists before you find the one that you kind of feel like it's on the same page as you. And I guess another layer of complexity is that sometimes it's not about, you know, them being as the same gender or age as you. It's like a personality type that you might fit with or a way of seeing the world. And so it is really hard to ascertain that based on like a paragraph on a website somewhere. And so I would, I'm not sure about if there's like a particular thing that I'm looking for, but I would say that if you leave the session feeling like they are non-judgmental and they're validating and they're giving you something of value, then that's a good sign. Whereas what you've described is a little bit of, oh, I'm not sure we're on the same page, um, which I would probably tell someone to maybe try someone different. And I've got, so other friends who are psychologists have also described having multiple experiences before they found the right fit for them. So there's also different types of therapists who work under different models, different personality types. And yeah, it's a bit tricky. It's a little bit touch and go the first couple of times you go to therapy, I think. Mm, uh, but keep mm, trying, I guess, mm. is the ultimate thing. Keep trying until you find the right fit. Mm. And have there been times on the other side of the chair where you as the therapist feel that you and the client's chemistry isn't going right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's So my supervisor and I were actually talking about this uh, literally last week in supervision. And we were talking about a particular case where the client, um, so basically they came to me because they disclosed they had cheated on their partner. And it was something where, let's say if they were my friend, you know, I'd be kind of like, oh gosh, why'd you do that? <laughs> um, and it would be hard to be non-judgmental. However, every time I sat in session with this client, I felt this sense of kinship with them. And I, I felt this like kindness and compassion towards them that I probably would not have felt if they were just a mate of mine. And I talked to my supervisor about this and he said he has the same kind of thing where when he sits down, somehow you get this 
surge of connection with your client and sometimes people who you probably would not meld with outside of therapy, you still feel connected to and you still feel a sense of understanding with. So thankfully, there's some sort of therapist mojo that happens in the room, which I don't know what it is. Um, (laughs) But I've certainly had clients that are trickier where they're a bit... um, usually honestly when I reflect back on it it's me like maybe they're a bit more directive and I feel a bit insecure or maybe they have demands of me that I feel like I can't meet and again I feel insecure Um, I have only ever referred probably two or three clients onwards because I don't know how to work with them maybe their presentation is something where I have no experience or I feel like the complexity level is above my level of expertise Um, but generally I've tried to make it work. Um, and then I'm sure there are clients who, you know, maybe I've only seen for a couple of sessions and they stop seeing me because they don't feel like it's the right fit. And I would probably say it's a good move. Like if you don't feel like it's, if you feel like you've had a couple of sessions, you know, give it at least maybe three or four sessions to kind of get the ball rolling. But if after that you kind of feel like you're not getting any value out of it, I would mm. probably recommend seeing someone else. Mm. Mm. I think that's that's a really good point as well, because even when I was reflecting on my my own experience as you were talking about ending Mm. therapy, if it doesn't feel right, I think Mm. a big question came to my mind about, you know, whether it was, I was in the right headspace when Mm. I went to look for a therapist in the first place. Um, Mm. And I guess also not being sure, like, do we need to know what we're going to therapy for? I guess sometimes it's like very much a, you know, like, I don't know why I'm here or I don't know what I'm looking for, but sometimes not knowing what I'm looking for then makes the experience sometimes almost too aimless. Because mm. I guess it's just me sitting there and just feeling like, yep, okay, so you reflected what I said back to me <laughs> and I can see how you're trying to be validating. And it's just like, okay, where, yeah. where do I go from here? I don't, I don't know. I guess maybe is it my expectations that are mismatched? Ah. Uh. I, I do feel like there's also a bright time for therapy. And so as a therapist, I feel like I'm almost like misrepresenting the brand. <laughs> if I say like, sometimes don't go to therapy. Like sometimes for a couple of clients, I have my biggest recommendation to them has been to take a therapeutic break, which is to stop seeing me um, either because there are no concrete goals um, or because they're not very motivated or there's too much going on in the rest of their life that they don't have the time to actually make any of the changes that we might put in place during therapy. Um, I work primarily in a CBT model, which requires some sort of homework between sessions. Um, And even under an ACT model, like you need to go practice the skills as opposed to it just being a space to talk. And so in a, a couple of clients, I have just said, you know, let's pause until you have a better idea. Um, though there are quite a few clients who have no idea why they're in therapy and probably part of the first couple of sessions is trying to figure out what the goals could be. And that's probably a sign of good therapy that by the end of a couple of sessions, you have some concrete goals Um, because everyone, you know, wants to develop in some sort of way, but sometimes figuring out where to even start is the tricky part. And so I feel like you don't need to have, Mm. you know, one, two, three goals written out on a list before you see a therapist. As long as you feel like there's some some way in which you'd like to be assisted, um, being the type of person that you want to be, or if there's if you're going through a tough time, I feel like that's enough. 
Sorry, my brain's just processing. Because you said a lot of good things there. And a lot of things that um, I actually resonated with. Um, one of which is the taking a break from, from therapy. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so I've been in uh, this new therapist that I've been seeing. Um, I see with my partner. And we, we did um, shopping around for a bit because we didn't know who we want. Um, but we eventually went with uh, a therapist that we really enjoyed. And we enjoyed because he was like on the first like trial session, which is basically a full session that's discounted. Mm -hmm. um, we saw effects immediately and mm -hmm. uh, like changes in each other's behavior and, and almost like uh, we went in with a, with a problem and we saw a, a glimpse of a solution. And so mm -hmm. it was so um, groundbreaking for, Matt, for mm -hmm. us that, that we thought, okay, he's the one to go with. But mm -hmm. um, so he's great. And we needed to take a break recently because we've been so busy with the rest of our lives. Like we were planning to get married. We're, we're going and uh, moving into a new home, planning the renovation stuff. So there's a lot happening that I'm like, I don't think we should go for another session because, I mean, we have a package so we can pause and go again later. <laughs> but I, I didn't want to continue just yet. And he didn't want it as well because it's like we listen and we absorb the things that he says, but what can we do after that? Do we even have space to digest and process the information and then make a change in our lives? And it just felt like we were so overwhelmed that it was difficult to have that in our lives. So we decided to take a pause and probably continue it nearing the end of the year. But that's, that's something that is interesting that I never really thought about because I thought, I always had the impression that in the most difficult moments or overwhelming moments in your lives, those are like mm. key points where you should probably get some help if you can't mm. manage that on your own. Um, but then I realized in this particular case, I can handle it on my own. In fact, I can't have space for therapy. So mm. to, to, to Joey's point of like, you know, being in the right time and finding the right person, I think, it really, it's really evident here. We found the right person, but it's not the right time. So we take a break and then we find a better time to reach out back to this person. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's interesting because some people do present at crisis, like the absolute trickiest part of a, a relationship breakdown or if they've reached the lowest point of their depression. And for them, having the therapist by their side as they move through that process is the most helpful. Mm. And for some people more like what you've described, it is kind of like when you've got the space and the time to reflect and build, that's the best time for therapy. So I think it's really individual on like a case by case basis. Mm. Um, but also the form of therapy, I feel like some are very active and have a lot of practical things for you to do. And I guess also a sign of a good therapist is they they give you the level of work which is suited to the kind of stress level <laughs> and the, your capacity for building in that moment. And I think a common pitfall I fell into when I was 
in training was that I would just give the client everything. Like I would try and stuff every session full of like 10 skills. Then I'd send them a <laughs> podcast and a reading and a thing to fill it. And they do nothing because they're overwhelmed. So I guess trying to match, I guess that's part of being a skilled therapist is matching capacity level with what the homework is or the home yeah. task is. So yeah, if you feel like you're really overwhelmed, definitely feel free to tell a therapist like I I don't have the space to do what you've just told me to do. So please alter or maybe I need to take a break. Right. right. Yeah. I never, I never thought about that, that, that therapists would have a whole laundry list of items for their patients or for their clients uh, to digest. Um, Too much. (laughs) It's a very interesting space to be in. Yeah. Um, And there's a constant, kind of like therapist in joke of like clients not completing homework and us getting so frustrated <laughs> at them. <laughs> and like, it's not the client's fault. Like there's just so much going on. Sometimes you don't have space to complete all of these monitoring forms and readings. Oh, yada yada. Yeah. yeah. It's like they paid to, to get better. And then they also paid to get a, a whole bunch of education <laughs> that they have to study themselves. But yeah, yeah, I think the, the being in the right mind space for it and allowing the therapist to provide these sort of information, mm. you it, it really needs to be in the right time, I think. Because in my experience of uh, trying out different therapists and their different approaches, um, I've always found it to be like in a space where I need to to sort of put myself in a special time box and like okay what like what are they saying what are what am I supposed to do next like I'm I'm very methodical when it comes to my session so immediately after a session I like on the train right home just like scribbling everything they said try to vomit out all the notes all the nuggets oh gosh. that they that they talked about perfect client <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I'd say I, I try and capture as much as I can so that I can then digest it and figure out how I can reuse that in my life afterwards um, and I do that because I'm I have a very I usually have specific goals when I go into therapy and I know I'm paying money and I, I'm just super cheap right like I want the bang for my buck so if I got all these insights from some a professional it's gotta go somewhere not just mm. like floating around in my brain so mm. I know not everybody's like that. And I, I think what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that however someone digests information, it, they really need to be in the right space for it to want to be able to do that. If not, it's mm-hmm. just not going to go in. It's like just extra stuff in their lives yeah. that bounces off. Right. Yeah. You're totally right. Yeah. There's, we often say that there's something called motivational interviewing, which is basically just getting people to the stage of wanting to be in therapy or wanting to approach a particular goal. And like we could spend, you know, five, six sessions just on that first stage of getting the client to want to be in therapy. Um, Because lots of people, I guess uh, you two have described seeking out therapists on your own. Um, But then I also see clients who are forced there by their spouses or their parents and they don't want to be there and they don't want to talk to me and there is no progress at all because this is the last place they want to be. And during those times, I really appreciate, I I just remember this one, I think he's like 
16, 17, like on the cusp of adulthood. And he just sits down and just goes like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> like my mum has forced me to be here. I really just don't want to be here. I want to be at home. I want to be at soccer. And I really appreciated that because instead of me launching straight into something, it, we spent ages just talking about goals and like what areas of his life are, are tricky. Like, can I help him with anything? And in the end, we ended up taking a therapeutic break because he, he honestly was just like, I want to, I want to go home and have some downtime and I want to not be forced into all this stuff that I don't want to do. And so probably the most therapeutic thing was us finding out a way of him telling his mom that he doesn't want to be in therapy (laughs) (laughs) and like having that open communication. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, right time, uh, right motivation or like some level of motivation is always helpful. And I guess like, you know, along the lines of what you both were saying, the question then is that, well, who should go for therapy? Because I, I, I think hearing what you mm. both say earlier, that there are people that choose to go for whatever they, mm. they have specific goals. Um, but sometimes I guess like, you know, live, live is a very, I guess in a way, like almost mentally literate person, like mental health um, oriented, you know, in the way that, that, that she, she has the ability to, to want to know that she needs to process these things in a different space, mm-hmm. yada, 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 right? Like she's in that headspace. But, but like you said, not, not everybody is necessarily mm-hmm. that way. And I can imagine that there's a lot of people that also are just like, am I right for therapy? Should I go for therapy? Do I need therapy? Does, does my brother, does my friend need therapy? I guess that question mark, along with all the stigma of mental health issues is, well, who, who should go to therapy? Oh, gosh, now that I think about it, there's, yeah, there's so much involved. I'm not even sure the answer to that question. Like, <laughs> I guess I have a skewed view of things because I only ever see the people who made the decision to come. And so I actually don't know a lot of the people who were sitting there wondering, not not actually making the call. Um, but now speaking less as a therapist and more as someone who was looking for therapy, um, I think what pushed me to go was that I felt unsatisfied in some ways about some aspect of my life that I wanted to change and I knew I needed to change. So I felt really burnt out and I didn't want to dread going to work or drawing to clinic. And so that was my motivation for seeing a therapist. And I'd say that first session, the the ones where we come up with very specific goals are always when the client says there is some area that I want to improve in and that I'd like to see change in. And I think it would really enrich my life if either my my relationship to work, my relationship to my own emotions, my relationships with other people, um, my relationships to my physical health. If any of those things changed, I feel like I'd be feel, living a more fulfilled life. And so if there's some area that you'd like to work on, then I, I think therapy could be helpful. But also knowing that therapy isn't the be-all and end-all of self-development. And for some people, maybe going to see a personal trainer is that thing that will really help them. And for some people, maybe, I don't know, starting a new creative hobby is the thing that will be most enriching to them. Um, I guess psychology is the study of um, like thoughts and cognitions and that interaction with our behavior. And so I guess something in that sphere, if it's related to that, then maybe go see a psychologist. Mm, I think it's really refreshing to hear you say that as well, that we don't have 
to see a psychologist. Um, mm. even, you know, when you said like, oh, you can see a sports therapist and maybe that's in line with the person's needs and their mm. own development at that moment. I think sometimes mm. maybe as, as, a, as a patient or I mean, as a client, you can get bogged down by the idea of being a good client. You know, this idea, did I fail therapy? <laughs> did I, am I, am, what? I, am I not doing really? enough? Um, am I a burden to my therapist? You know, um, I, I, I think, I think that's the other side of it of, of maybe that's my personal doubts coming into mm-hmm. the equation. But while, while you were earlier sharing your own insecurities and your competency as a therapist, mm-hmm. I think on the flip side, you know, I can imagine that for clients sometimes, um, especially ones that are down in the dumps for whatever is going on in their life, mm-hmm. um, there is also their evaluation of themselves mm. in that room um, of, of maybe, you know, even therapy kind of helped me. Did I fail? Or, or things like that. Um, and I guess, I guess it's important to know that, well, no, it doesn't have to be a failure or, no. or end of the line, like you said. No, not at all. Um, I don't really believe you can fail therapy either. Um, I don't know what that Thomas Edison quote is, but I don't even know if this is true or if I just read it on some like Reddit forum or something. But this idea that Thomas Edison came up with the idea of the light bulb after like hundreds or even thousands of things that didn't work. And if you go to therapy and you commit to, you know, 10 sessions and you kind of come out and you say, oh, I'm not really sure anything happened or I don't think I improved in the way that I wanted, at least we know that, you know, that therapist at that time in that model was not the right thing for you. And that's still useful information to have. And if, if that's all you take out of therapy, you know, it's not the ideal, <laughs> obviously we'd like to give you more than that. Um, but even that's helpful as a space that you've tried to talk about your feelings. Um, even that process of learning to make that connection between internal sensations and thoughts and feelings and using words to express that. I feel like it's such a skill that I've had to develop as well. I, you know, growing up in an Asian household, we did not talk about feelings. So being able to say to someone, oh, I feel guilty or I feel anxious or I feel angry, that that was skill building for me as opposed to just saying like, I feel like crap or I feel bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> Even that process might be helpful. No, no, for sure. That's that's a very important point. And and that had a mark because I I've been in therapy where I I know I feel discomfort or like this mm. annoying feeling, but I can't explain what that is. And mm. over the course of, of sessions, sometimes I figure it out, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just have to live with the fact that I'll never find out. But in in your in your experience, when you are, I guess, in session with the with the client, and they're struggling with naming emotions or um, explaining their thoughts and and whatnot, how do you? What's your some of your ways that you can guide them through that process? Because mm, yeah. I figure. Sorry, go ahead. I, I keep butting no, in. No, no, no. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to speak more to like the child psychology side of sure. things here because there's such, so many of the work that I do with like children are about learning about their feelings. So we bring out a feelings wheel. We're what? trying to identify like body signals with 
feeling words. So we might say when you have that like um, pressure feeling on your chest and it feels like there's butterflies in your tummy and you feel like you're about to vomit, oh, that's anxiety. And so, you know, when you feel that tummy thing, go and talk to your mom or dad and say, I feel worried or I feel anxious. And we might spend, maybe that's our entire block of therapy is learning about how they can give words to that internal discomfort. Um, And we're not really taught, like a lot of families um, might have a language around emotions, but a lot of them don't. And in that sense, it's something that we need to develop. And so into adulthood, if there are people who have never really talked about emotions, then we sometimes use thought monitoring or feelings like tracking sheets. And so during the week, while the thought or the feeling comes up, actually jot it down on a piece of paper. It's often easier in the moment than trying to recall it like four days later. Um, Other ways could be um, like recognition is easier than recall. And so I might say, you know, well, you may be feeling anxious during that time. Or I wonder if maybe if I was in that situation, I might be feeling a little bit, you know, angry at my partner if they said that to me and just seeing if that resonates with people. Um, and then sometimes it's just sending them away and kind of going, you know, during this week, when you feel it, try and think about what what happened before, what happened afterwards and making that link between what could be causing those feelings. Um, but I would say that it, it's probably a slow process of becoming more aware of those internal thoughts, feelings, internal body signals, like the physiological stuff. And I think I've gotten out of my therapist or my therapy journey, a greater awareness of what I'm feeling. And that's, that's a really good win from my point of view. Mm, mm, for sure. Yeah. I never thought about it that way. Like to, to teach an adult how to name thoughts and feelings. Mm. This is just, you kind of think that as an adult, you know these things, but I guess a lot of people, yes. they don't, they just, they just lash out in, in anger or, yeah. or sadness or anxiety yeah. and they don't even know it. Yeah. Same. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think the way that I, I mean, more often now I can kind of reflect and figure out what happened. But I think when I was younger, I would have no idea. I would like blow up, have, you know, a really difficult time or I'd break down crying or something. And it's not until I reach that absolute point of exhaustion or burnout, do I even start to think about, oh, maybe I've been anxious the last two weeks or maybe I've been stressed. And so there was a total lack of connection with what was going on internally for me um, to the point where it was like kind of shocking. It would just come out of nowhere and be like, oh my gosh, why am I so upset? Or why did I just yell at someone? (laughs) Um, So yeah, it was really tricky. It's really hard not knowing, like just feeling like you don't trust your body or your mind. Mm. And you're like, why am I like this? Is something wrong with me? Um, Mm. But yeah, it's, it's just a skill. It's just a skill that we can build as we grow older and we have better emotional vocabulary. All right, so we've talked a fair bit about therapy this episode. Uh, we've seen the ins and outs of, well, not, not in too much detail, but we've <laughs> seen um, a different perspectives of therapy as a therapist and as patient clients. Uh, and I think it's, it's quite interesting to 
tap into the brain of a therapist is truly an honor because we've never got a chance to do that before. Um, and, and I'm very happy that you're here at this room. Um, and to sort of close off the, the episode, we wanted to maybe give some tips to the people who are listening. So if, if we have someone in our lives that we think might benefit from therapy, maybe what are some ways we can approach talking to them about therapy to, to start that conversation about maybe they should consider that option? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, and I'm going to actually go off some of the guidelines that they've provided when I talk to high schoolers, like when I give talks to high schoolers, there's a bit of a process to go about it. Um, and the the biggest one is just to be um, someone who is encouraging and validating, but not forcing. And so this idea that if someone's going through a tough time and they've shared their difficulties with you, one of the best things we can do is just to validate how, you know, how they must be going through such a tough time, how it's incredibly normal and human to be going through what they're going through. There is nothing at all wrong with them. And maybe once we've had those types of conversations, then moving on to, you know, have you ever thought about therapy or I wonder, would it be helpful to see someone about this to get a bit of an extra hand or an extra source of support? And sometimes someone will say like, no, and they might shut down and say, I really don't want to go see a therapist. Like, why are you labeling me like this? Um, and the idea is to sometimes just be patient. And I've talked to some people who say, you know, I, I'm so angry at my significant other or my child. I, I care about them so much. I know therapy would be helpful and yet they won't go get help. And it, it makes me so angry at them. Um, and in those cases, I think it's best just to let the person be on their own timeline and they will go and seek help when they're ready. And also thinking about that, you know, forcing people into therapy is not effective either. And they're not going to get anything out of it if they're forced in. So continuing to, to hear them out, give them that space to talk about their feelings and always in the background, you know, gently encouraging them, talking about this idea of therapy, maybe sharing our own experiences of therapy and how it might've helped um, talking about, how they might give it a go or what they might get out of therapy and encouraging them just to know that there are other opportunities or other ways to get help. Because I think that's also a thing where people think that that they're all alone and there's no way out of the situation they're in. You know, just even bringing it up is probably going to give them some food for thought. I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that covers it. Do you guys have any thoughts? <laughs> no, I think that's, I think that's a great, great sharing. Thanks, bro. I think to what you said as well, something that occurred to me um, about, you know, to ask you as well, for those people who are worried for their friends, their loved ones, and whoever else is in their lives that they mm. see are struggling. But mm. those people, whoever is struggling, maybe doesn't see it, maybe isn't ready to come terms with it, or does not mm. articulate it. And, and it can, I can imagine, be very tiring or I guess emotionally draining for the other person, the, the person that's worried, mm -hmm. right? And I guess I, I would be curious to hear what you think about, you know, this idea about setting boundaries when it comes to caring for others as well, mm -hmm. um, or seeing somebody in need and they are not aware of it or, or rejecting of yeah. support and, and as a friend or as a lover or whatever it might be, how do we know when to, to say stop and take care of ourselves? Yeah, oh, that is such a good 
point actually about setting up boundaries because if we care so much it can sometimes consume us that care for the other person turning into anxiety about or, or anger about you know you need to get help um if there is someone like that in your life and you feel like the amount that you're worrying about them is impacting you like yourself um i would say it's a really good idea to put up some boundaries which might be in the form of um talking about how we can talk about mental health but there's a certain time and place for it so you're not that person's personal psychologist and so they're not putting everything on you um encouraging them to even talk to other friends so informal support networks um you know reach out to your family members or reach out to other friends and not being that sole contact or that sole source of support for this person um take some of the pressure off um oh, tricky actually i would probably say there are also situations where i've heard of people you know making a a solid boundary with someone and saying i'm sorry i can't support you it's it's taking too much out of me to even talk to you about this kind of stuff um and i would recommend for the person who is supporting to actually go and get some support for themselves and right. for instance like because i mean so many psychologists have psychologists because they're supporting other people and it's overwhelming sometimes that we also need to hop into that little chain of getting our own help I don't know if that answers the question. I'm not even sure to be honest. No, no, that's great. I think I think you know there's no one-stop solution for anything, right? Mm. And I think it seems like this is a theme throughout today's conversation about how it doesn't have to be a one-size-fits-all. Mm -hmm. The therapy doesn't have to be one-size-fits-all, or the human emotional state doesn't have to all be one thing only. Mm. I think. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think we've taken up a good amount of your time. I know both Liv and I have tons of questions <laughs> that we wish we could ask a lot more of. Um, but unfortunately, all things have to come to an end. Hopefully not permanently, but <laughs> at this point in time, um, a break, so to speak. Um, so thank you very much, Ro, for being here, um, for joining us today. Is there any, I guess, like final things you would like to, to say or to share as well from your point? Mm -hmm. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for having me. It was so, it was so fun just talking about therapy. I guess I just do it in my work and my head is so buried in the sand that I don't get to talk about it, which was really cool. Um, I think maybe two last things. One last thing is if your friend or family member is in risk, so if there's a risk to their safety or if they're considering suicide and that kind of thing, um, all bets are off, you know, get help immediately. So, call your local emergency services or um like for in australia we have lifeline and so when it comes to safety that that is a, above everything else it doesn't matter if you're um you know getting in the way of the relationship or they might be upset with you their safety is the most important thing um and the second thing is also just talking about how mental health is so normal and i love that you guys are doing this podcast because it opens up the conversation and normalizes it that it's something that everyone experiences and gosh i wish i could remember the statistics but i think it's something along the lines of like one in two australians will develop depression sometime in their lives you know if well, if literally half the population is going through this it's not there's nothing crazy or wrong or bad about you like it's just part of being a human then mm -hmm. um and i'm sure the stats are really high during covid during lockdown um, the experiences of people who don't have the diagnosis and they're just going through a tough time, you know, 
going through something tough is just part of being human, I guess. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on here with us, Ro. I appreciate your time and your thoughts, your very valuable perspectives. Um, Yeah. We hope you enjoyed the episode uh, and do check out the Psych Diaries on YouTube for uh, more information about being a therapist. Um, yeah. Yes, I'm sure she'll have a lot more content on that. That's like that speaks to whatever questions people have about being a psychologist. Oh, like <laughs> I should get you guys on. I'll oh, get yeah. you guys on somehow behind a screen with your faces covered. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, we'll get to hear from you again on our podcast as well. Mm-hmm. I'd love um, to. And hopefully, for all our listeners out there, this has been something interesting, something helpful, or just something nice to listen to on the way home all right well this was feel the gap podcast thank you once again for listening to this and we hope you take care bye bye, bye. bye. <laughs>